Hey everyone, this week on The Money Barrel, we sit down with our next million dollar writer, Vonna Walker. For years, Vonna has been the definition of consistency when it comes to winning. This week's episode is brought to you by Pivot Point Equine Rehab Therapy. It's easy to forget that riders are athletes in their own right. If you're looking to ride faster and shut off that clock, then you need to be just as strong as the horse that's underneath you. That's why Pivot Point Equine and Rider has developed the Solid in the Saddle series, an online rider rehabilitation course. Let rider and physical therapist Becky Pearson take you through stretches and exercises to maximize your performance in the saddle and reduce your pain during and after rides. The folks at Pivot Point Equine and Rider understand that the worst thing as a rider is not being able to get in the saddle, and taking care of your health is just as important as taking care of your horses. So if you're interested in riding farther, faster, and without pain, go to pivotpointequine.com. Hover over Classes in the main menu, and then select Online Classes. Then use our code MONEYBARREL for 10% off any of the Pivot Point curriculum. That's pivotpointequine.com. All right, Vanna, you're up. Kayla, take it away. This is The Money Barrel. Today, we are getting the chance to talk to Vanna Walker, who I'm really excited to have on. We started our podcast, and one of our very first episodes was actually your daughter, Anita, um, and we talked about you a little bit, but thanks for joining us to now share your story. I'm excited to be here. So how's the year going so far? I know you had a big win with the Royal Crown, and how did you survive the, the Texas ice storm? <laughs> we, uh, things actually went really well on that trip to Texas, we encountered very little difficulty. There was one day where it sounded like it was going to be difficult to get diesel. And we just stayed in a little town that had a fairgrounds. And the next day we made it into Bryan just fine with no problems. A few bad roads, but nothing, nothing really slick, just some slush. Um, I love how the year's going so far. I have two fillies that I'm running two four-year-olds and they have been so much fun. Do you normally ride fillies or do you normally ride geldings or does it matter? Well, it doesn't really matter now. There was quite a few years ago I said that I wasn't going to ride any more fillies because I got one that was really, really hard to be around. And then um, we ended up getting that two dash to fame, I think in 2008. And I, I ride whatever seems to want to work now. <laughs> she, she changed my perspective completely. <laughs> well, whatever makes your life easier, huh? Yes. <laughs> Before we get into what today looks like, um, let's go to the very beginning. Tell us a little bit about your background how, and how you got into barrel racing and fraternity horses. I grew up in western Pennsylvania, um, a little town called Slippery Rock, and we, we always had horses. Um, they were just pleasure horses, uh, kind of several different kinds of breeds I'd encountered. Uh, I remember we got our first quarter horse when I was probably about 10 years old, and she was kind of uh, difficult, so I didn't get to ride her much, but um, I've just loved from the time I was small, um, 
I had ponies mostly for a while, and I don't know if you've ridden ponies very much, but they can be an interesting challenge. <laughs> and I felt like I learned a lot from ponies. Uh, one year, my sister and I, there was a mare that had had a baby, and the baby was like almost two years old now and was still kind of hanging out in the same pasture as the mare. And we discovered that if my sister rode the pony who was broke, um, I could get on that colt and kind of ride along and I would just kind of bother her, kind of kick her a little bit and she'd keep up with her mother. And so we rode this, we rode over to the neighbors on these ponies. And of course I had no bridle, no saddle. And it was all, it, was, it, was, it seemed like a good idea at the time. I was eight, she was probably 11, I don't know. Um, and then we encountered that there's a lot of dairies back in the area I grew up and there was a, like kind of a herd of young, you know, Holstein cows and they started running. And at first I was afraid that my, the colt was going to be afraid of them, but no, she wanted to run with them. And that was an adventure. <laughs> I feel like we were lucky to make it through that, but yeah, that was kind of my beginnings. Uh, a lot of unsupervised time with the ponies. Just, just no, no bridle, no saddle, just yeah. running wild. Yeah, it was an adventure. <laughs> um, that's interesting. I didn't know that you were from the East Coast. So how did you get into the barrel racing side of things? Well, when I was a teenager, I actually rode for an Arabian farm, um, trained and showed, you know, kind of Western pleasure, um, hunt seat, equitation, things like that. But they had a an association back there. It was called Pennsylvania Amateurs. And they they ran barrels. They did the pickup race. They did all kinds of really fun things. And I didn't really get to do that very much, but I watched it. It was mostly guys that ran barrels back there. And it just looked so much fun. And so I, I, I wanted that opportunity. Um, then I came to Idaho and, you know, got closer to it and started doing it, been hooked on timed events ever since. What brought you out to Idaho? I went to Rick's College, which is okay. BYU-Idaho now. And just decided to stay, huh? Yeah. Actually, the first time I saw Idaho was when I was 14 and we camped at Bear Lake. And I thought it was the prettiest place I'd ever seen. So I, I kind of had that in mind all along that I wanted to live in the West. When you got in or when you moved to Idaho and then started the barrel racing, um, did you buy a horse or did you kind of self-teach yourself how to go about it? What led you into the training horses and paternity horses side of things? Well, I started out with this. Um, she was a quarter horse. She was a dun mare and she was kind of a, you know, reject from whatever. And she, she was a cranky thing that my first experience uh, it it was so fun to run barrels and now I look back on that <laughs> and she was miserable to be around <laughs> but I loved it it was just an opportunity that's what I had to start with <laughs> when did you get your first fraternity horse um it, let's see my husband Randy and I got married in 1991 and I'd always wanted to do that I had actually run just a grade horse that I had in, in a fraternity. I think it was in like in the eighties had gone to a fraternity and placed in it. And, and I was ecstatic. And then my husband and I got married and he has a lot of interest in that too. He's always 
he's team roped. Um, he high school rodeoed. He did lots of stuff, rode bucking horses, but he's had a lot of interest in the breeding side of it, you know. So we kind of, I wanted to go to futurities. We went to our first futurity in Olympia, Washington, which is a big, long trip for us. And we had a quarter horse mare who was by Smoke'em Tiny. And um, she went up there and she was second in the go. And you know, we were both just hooked. We were going <laughs> to, that's kind of been, you know, what we love to do from then on. I I love it. So many people, it's like that first horse, you don't really know what it's about and they happen to win. And then here you are, you know, 25 years later, still winning in the fraternity game. It's really fun. Um, I love the Colts. I love to start with a fresh slate. And, and that's what the most fun is. They're all different. They all respond differently uh, to training. And I don't know, just the things you encounter are so much fun for me. So tell us a little bit about your program today, because one thing that I really admire about it is I feel like you always have two or three really solid, good horses. You don't have 12 or, you know, one this year, one the next year. It seems like you kind of have it down now to be able to have a, a couple in your trailer to make it a fun year and you know you kind of stick to that um how how did you decide kind of what you guys are going to do every year first of all thank you that's a nice compliment <laughs> it doesn't always feel that way when you're maturity horses but um kind of we started to notice um around the time we got that dash to fame i had a couple nice horses um I had a horse by Like a Bedueno in 2005. I had a few nice horses in there. And we started to notice that I get along with a certain kind of horse. And so that's kind of been our focus to breed for and to ride. Um, I, it's those horses that are maybe a little on the hot side. And my description of them um, is you ride them up to a creek. They've never been out, out of the arena. And you ride them up to a creek and they're afraid to cross or a ditch or something like that. And you just sit there and kind of wait on them and keep asking them. And finally they can't stand it anymore and they go. That's the kind of, that's the kind of horse I get along with. I, um, I don't enjoy training when you really have to crank and tune on them. So I really, look, yeah. I really look for those horses that respond to the training where you just make it easy for them you know, pressure and then release as soon as they do what you ask. So do you breed the majority of your horses now or do you buy them when they're young or three-year-olds? How do you pick what you're going to ride? We have bought some. Um, my mother-in-law raises some really nice horses and we have four broodmares. Um, we don't have four babies every year. You know how that goes, <laughs> but yeah. we tried it. We kind of shoot for that and then we'll... I'll, I'll just kind of work with them. And there's just some that you get along with good. Um, we found that you just love to ride them. If you have that horse that you kind of get along with. So what kind of bloodlines do fit you the best? Uh, we like the dash for cash. We've liked the Beduinos. Um, you, you've had a little bit of success on the goodbye lanes. Yeah. Yeah. They've all, every one of the goodbye lanes that I've ridden, they uh what they have in common is they're really willing and um 
you, most of them had a really nice temperament, um, just kind of fun horses to be around. I know last year I ran that one horse we called Ace. His name, uh, let's see, speeding, CBC Speeding Goodbye. Mm -hmm. And it, he was so much fun. At first he made me anxious because when he, when I was getting ready to run him, he just stood really still. And it seemed like if I moved him around much, it would make him nervous. But I know for a long time, I'd be sitting there on him waiting to run. And I'd be thinking to myself, is he going to run? Because everything was so relaxed. And then he would fire so hard. <laughs> and I learned early on, you know, that he just did well. He just let him sit. And I haven't had very many like that. And I really, it was fun. I really enjoyed him. So I... I pulled your Equistat just because I wanted to see, you know, your, your years of winning. Um, and it's, it's pretty remarkable that it seems, and maybe, maybe you don't think this, but can, you are able to consistently win year after year, um, almost to the point where it could, I don't know if you consider it your career versus a hobby, um, but it sure looks like it. So have you always kind of considered this as a, job or has it kind of been something on the side that just has worked out well um pretty early on we when randy and i got together we considered it a job um mm -hmm. it, it we always worked full time you know because we just didn't have the resources to do that and only that at that time and so pretty early on, we started to think of it that way. We re both retired about two years ago. And um, it's really fun to have only one full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> I, there were years, uh, my mother-in-law used to laugh about this. Those early Futurity horses, we had a family. Everybody had homework. It was busy trying to get time to ride. And I remember galloping our we live on a gravel road and i remember galloping horses after dark down the side of the road you know it wasn't as slick as the middle where it was icy and that wasn't as deep as the snow you know that they'd plowed to the side and i'd try to hit that little strip on the edge and now i think about that and it's like i don't know how i didn't have a head injury during those years yeah just trying to make it all work and trying to balance it out and everything exactly how, did that um, make an emphasis on your training style back then when your time was a little bit more limited or how have things changed through the years now that you might have more time? Um, I, I found the, the difference, the main difference is it's just so much easier now. Um, Randy always roped some. And so I would take my Colts anytime he had a roping, I'd take my Colts and ride there. Um, I, I, we have six children and those, um, the kids laugh about the Futurity Colts that I had them riding. And, and it, <laughs> I think it was a good experience for them. But now I look at that, you know, as a mother, when your kids are little, you know, you just kind of feel Know, like bulletproof or something and now I worry about everything I can't believe I put them on security colts to help cry <laughs> you know you got to do what you got to do yeah <laughs> so what was your first like big win that made you realize like hey we, we can do this we can hang with the big dogs um I think it 
it might have been that horse in uh, I ran in 2005. Uh, it was SCR Revelation or something like that. <laughs> anyway, he he was a big sorrel colt. He was really smooth, and um, I went I went back to a few bigger races with him. Um, I remember running him in the juvenile, and he uh, at the backside of the first barrel, he did a complete spin around with me. And, and I realized after that, I was really nervous. Um, you know, I'm sure I was, you know, kind of choking up a little bit and handling him more than he was used to. But what I realized, I didn't get anything really done back there, but I was so close. I could have. And it just gave me the kind of the shot in the arm that I needed to know that I can just do this. That's, I think that's really cool because it, it was kind of a, a big win with kind of an issue that, you know, showed you that you can have confidence in yourself. Yeah. And then that mare in 2008, she, she was a confidence builder. Her name was two dash to fame and she won the average of nine out of the 14 fraternities that we took her to. And oh, yeah, wow. she was this amazing horse and, she just made me know that I can do it. If I put the time, if I have the horse, if I put the time and work into it, that I can do it. So when you have a horse like that, we, we've had some questions that people want to ask is, you know, like, how do you keep your mindset right when, when you know that you have a really good horse and you're at that level? Um, does it make you more nervous or I guess, does it give you more confidence when you have something like, that. you know, it's an interesting mix. And we've talked about that a lot. Um, the, one of the horses that we learned a lot with was the, um, the horse in 2013, we called him fireball. I'm trying to remember his name, uh, DTF way to fire. And he was a big Palomino colt and he was hot and really, really sensitive. And, I think when you have a horse that you know can go out there and win the go, it, it puts, it's, there's confidence there, but it puts more pressure on you. This horse was really fragile. Um, everything kind of had to go just right with him. Um, he was, he was afraid of things when we'd haul him. One time a dog at Heber city, a dog ran around the corner and we were leading him out of the barn and he just like, had a heart attack and fell down on the pavement. He was, yeah, oh my he was kind of fragile that way. But um, so he was, it, it was tricky. You had to do everything just right. And I think that was probably um, in those, those years in there, I kind of learned to um, really keep my focus. Like when I'm getting ready to run, I don't socialize a lot. And I try to really focus on my horses, not who's there, how many runners there are. Um, I try to stay away from talk. If there's, uh, you know, some negativity about the ground, I try to get out of it. It's like, I, I, it's look at the time I've got to run. <laughs> I try to stay out of that stuff yeah. and just really focus on my horse and what I know that I need to do with them. That's the horse you won diamonds and dirt on, right? Right. Okay, well, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask, when people are worried about the ground and such, how do you approach that? I usually like to see I, um I usually like to see a horse run on it, you know, like I don't 
I don't spend a lot of time in the grandstands, but I usually like to watch at least a run or um, Randy goes and he kind of studies the runs. If I'm really nervous, um, a good example of that was at the Diamonds and Dirt. He came back, he went up and watched a few runs. I was getting ready to run that colt and he came back and he said, you need to push him really hard in the gate because the ground was a little bit deep. It was good, but it was a little bit deep. He said, it's really taking the momentum out of those horses when they're getting to the first barrel. Well, this was a horse, you know, I didn't kick him much and I was careful how hard I ran him to the first barrel. And I know after I ran the run, it was like, he was exactly right. It, we ended up winning the first go, but it was because I had, he was coaching me through that. <laughs> I know because it gave me the courage to run. He said, it's, it's a little bit deep. It's going to stop him and slow him down. It worked. <laughs> That's nice to have that, you know, second set of eyes that can yes, help, yes. you know, line you out, calm you down. If if anybody listening doesn't know who Randy is, just watch the next time Vaughn is on a <laughs> webcast and you will see him on a horse next to her and you will know exactly who Randy yeah. is. <laughs> His question to um, me before I run every time is, what's your strategy? As we're riding up there to get in the staging area, he always asks me that helps me focus, pulls things right together. So what, what is your strategy? Does it depend on the horse or do you have like certain things that you, you just focus on no matter what? Um, it it kind of depends on the horse. Cause every, uh, it's just like we learned early on with that uh, CBC speeding goodbye that you couldn't mess with his head or you just had to let him stand still. And he kept his focus the very best. And other horses, um, like we've, he rides with me, but other horses, it's good to have him there. It helps him stay calm. But then we separate a certain amount of time before I go in um, because they run a little bit better on the muscle or if they're a little more nervous. That makes sense. Makes sense. So explain to us, um, Kind of your training philosophy or how you prep the horses because you run a lot of four-year-olds. Um, so how do you kind of prep to get ready for their fraternity year? Well, I one thing, uh, and we Randy and I have talked about this a lot. We together try to choose horses that we just feel have all kinds of speed. So, so that's one thing. I I don't want that to be in my mind wondering if they're going to have enough speed to run. <laughs> And so um, I don't like to start the three-year-olds running hard, or I don't like to run the two-year-olds on the barrels very much at all, maybe a trot through. Um, about, you know, in the spring of their three-year-old year, we start uh, getting them patterned, getting them solid. Um, I don't ask them to run until a little bit later in the year, like into May. I think that the longer you can wait and the more confident they are at just going into the arena and, you know, loping through th three barrels, it's then it makes it really easy to bring their speed, to bring them up to speed. So they're clocking. I, I like that. And I think it's, um, I think sometimes it's hard, especially now with Facebook, you know, people see everybody posting videos of their horses and, February, you know, running the barrels for the next year. And you're like, oh, my, my horse is That's way insane. behind. <laughs> um, 
but it goes to show that like you don't have to be running in February to be successful come the following year. Exactly. And we've, you know, sometimes I feel faint hearted about it at the time, I'm, you know, because, and I do try not to look at two-year-olds on Facebook very much because it will make you nervous. It will make you feel like you're behind. Um, but, you know, I'll feel like, oh, I, you know, everybody else is running faster. And then, you know, we'll talk about it kind of withdraw into ourselves and what we know has worked for us and um, just try to resist that urge to push them too fast too soon. How do you decide where you are going to go the next year? Do you focus mainly more on the bigger open events or do you focus more on the incentives? Oh, the incentives have made a huge difference for us. Um, all, All the horses, I guess all the babies we're raising right now are eligible for incentives. And so, yeah, that's changed Mm -hmm. things. We try to plan, um, you know, we try to plan to go to those big ones and maybe not quite so many maturities during the year. I think it is really interesting with the incentives bringing up that point because it seems like you can make less runs, but for more money and do a little bit less traveling which is nice when you do only have two to three fraternity horses versus 10 or 12. I really like that. For one big reason for me is that um, I don't, I don't like to run those fraternity horses very, you know, overrun them as four-year-olds. If you run four times in a month, say go to four fraternities, that's a lot. And it's hard on those colds, or at least that's, Yep. Mm-hmm. Ideally, I like to run them at a couple fraternities a month. Sometimes we end up with three just because they're good ones that we want to go to. But my ideal is a couple fraternities a month. How do you approach the actual fraternity year, um, you know, keeping them in shape versus tuning on them? Because that point they're kind of already trained, but they're still babies. Um, that, that part is always the hardest for me personally, just because it's like, they know what they're doing, but they don't really know what they're doing. Um, so how do you approach keeping them so solid throughout the year? Um, and that, that's an interesting question because we plot and plan regarding that all year long. Um, what, these are some of the things I found out. I found that the mares, uh, tend to retain it longer they don't need as much work in between and i do a lot more just outside riding going to the ropings and whatnot um for instance in in arizona i ran my two fillies at the first two fraternities and then i didn't run them in another race until that fraternity the second week in february or the first week and they both came i mean they both jumped up and ended up placing in that fraternity and it it's like they get it now i've had geldings you know they're all so individual i've had geldings that have taken a little more repetition in between and i've had some horses that run a little better if they've had hard runs but the these two mares are like some other mares that i've had they do the very best if they do the kind of riding that just clears their head maybe a few slow drills a couple times a week, everything really laid back. They seem to handle that pressure better and just know what they're supposed to do. 
That makes sense. And I mean, I guess it really would depend on the horse, but, um, yeah, I just, I'm always, I'm always interested on how people keep them going. Cause I feel like keeping them consistent is harder than doing the actual training. It's a challenge, isn't it? (laughs) It's, it's what we all strive to figure out. (laughs) Um, so tell us about some of your most special wins because I mean I feel like if there's a big race the very first time Vaughn is gonna <laughs> win it <laughs> maybe you don't feel like that but I feel like I that. Don't um but we did have somebody ask to you know hear some stories about some of your most special um, wins I think one that was really special for me uh, that gelding that I had in 2005 um I went to a race and it wasn't a huge race, but it was in Utah. Um, Everybody was there. There's always a lot of competition when you go to Utah. And um, I entered him kind of accidentally in everything. I entered him in the WPRA race, um, carried him over the open, ran him into futurity. Anyway, anything he was eligible to get in, he ended up being in that and my intent had been to run an older horse and those other things anyway um i can see he won it he the first day he won everything the first go of everything it and it felt amazing <laughs> and i remember sue smith coming up to me and she said she watched me win the fraternity and knew i'd carried to the open and she thought to herself well at least she won't have put him in that wpra race <laughs> and he had accidentally entered he won that too so it was just a great feeling it was that thing you know we can do that that feeling oh I love that that's that's so cool a- another question that we had that I thought it was really interesting and it's kind of the opposite is do you have a favorite failure or like a failure that kind of maybe turned things around to set you up for success later Oh, okay. My husband's laughing. I'm sorry. I had, okay. He mouthed the name. Yes, I have that. Okay. So I had a horse. Uh, he was, uh, you know, and again, I can't remember specifics, but he was a uh, Beduino breeding. And I love this horse. He, in slow work, this horse felt like he could pirouette on one hind foot. He just was so talented and, and strong. He'd stand up in a circle and you could lope a circle, you know, 12 feet across and he could just hold it and he looked so pretty and he was so smooth. And he was really exciting and I kind of started running him and I think I might have rushed him. You know, we've all broken a few eggs and I think I had no idea um, when I started riding him and training him at slow speeds, how hot he was, or he was a little more fragile than I realized. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so he was, he was a bit of a failure because, um, uh, when I actually got into the fraternities, got started asking him to run, I might've done it a little sooner than I usually do in the summer. Um, he got started running. I mean, he just ran down the fence with me <laughs> He was such a heartbreak because he was beautiful and he was fast and he was all these things. So I'm really cautious now when I ask them to run and I have this 
there's this place you'd get to with these horses that all of a sudden you go slow, you go slow. And I think I'm better now at feeling, okay, these guys are ready to ask them more because I really misread that one. Yeah. So that was probably a big failure that taught me a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's the hardest part is when you think they're ready, but maybe they're yeah. not. And you know, if you hold them back too long, then they become bad. Exactly. Too, so. Pretty much when I go to time only, with my Colts, I don't even try to get them to run fast the first few times. I'm just looking for them to make the pattern and good position. And it's probably a slow lope. And I probably don't start asking them to run but one thing I do also is if they make a mistake, a pretty mistake, big mistake in their time only when I ask them to run, you just go right back to basics. I think it's Terry Woodgate that says this, going back to basics is always the right answer. Slow everything down. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially in exhibitions. When do you start exhibitioning them in their like... I'll take them as soon as I think that I can get a reasonably, you know, decent position and lope through. I'll, I'll do it Mm -hmm. because I think it's a huge part um, of them just to go in there and do something in the arena all by themselves and come back out. That's why I kind of really like it when you're in the arena all by yourself. I'm always because that's part of what the test is. You know, you have to leave everybody. You have to go out of here by yourself. There's a lot of scary stuff. And I just want you to go to position. Yeah, I like that. Um, especially, you know, just it gives them confidence, too, once they figure out right. to find the barrels. That it's like, oh, right. I can do this. When you start taking them places, do you do, you do like two exhibitions or four exhibitions um, do you just have them make the pattern? The exhibitioning thing is always so interesting to me on how people approach. Yes. It. And you know, it's different. You know how that is. Sometimes they'll have two, yeah. uh, sometimes even one. But um, what I really like ideally is to have three time onlys. I like to do a trot through and then I like to ask them to lope through. And this is the one as they get better at things and they're feeling solid it's the middle one that I'll ask them to run on because I always want to come back with that third time only and just kind of slowly, gently correct anything that wasn't right. Okay. I, I, that makes sense. I like that. Sometimes I do four, but then I tend to often ignore the fourth one. So yeah, I probably lose my focus. I'm a little ADHD. I lose my focus by the fourth one. (laughs) Oh no. So do you do the same thing during their fraternity year and exhibitions, or do you start to approach it a little bit differently once they start? To Early on, um, I stick, try to stick with those three. It's just, it's a pattern that they're used to. I'm used to. Um, later on, I'll maybe cut down to two. If it's relaxed and there's a lot of time, uh, you know, I'll do, I'll do the three just because it helps their head it helps them relax that last time only just to stay calm and confident yes. and all of that. So we touched base on it a little bit earlier and, and I wanted to come back to it, but we talked a little bit about the incentives and I'm interested to get your opinion on where you think the sport and industry is headed 
Matt, you've had paternity years for, or paternity horses for a couple of year, years now. Um, what do you think about where our sport um, is headed? I love the incentives because um, if you don't want a rodeo and you have a really nice horse, you can keep that nice horse and have fun with that and keep going because there's so many races now if your horse is eligible for the incentives that you can run them for a long time if you know even if you don't like to go to rodeo particularly so that's fun for me um i i love the way that they're set up i love to get there um not have to drive all night uh, kind of like those big open races, those big 4Ds. I just like those, I guess. They just fit your program. I'm glad you brought the rodeo thing up because um, I did want to ask, because like I said, looking through your Equistat, it doesn't really look like you, you know, I, do, I have a little in the past, but um, I just, I guess I just like going, like it when we go together. Um, I don't like driving all night. I've done it some I don't really like driving all night. Um, I, I guess I, I'm probably, and you can edit this however you need to, but the ground can be uh, indifferent a lot of times at rodeos. And I know there's people that love rodeos and I expect my horses to be uh, talented and good enough to go on and win at rodeos. But I don't know if I want to do that because I love how you go to the paturity and they're out there working on the ground to make sure that ground is good. I appreciate that so much. And I guess it's that self-preservation thing for me and for the horses. Um, I like to run my horses on good ground. Uh, that's my favorite. Yeah. And it's, it's nice to be able to go somewhere and not have the stress of that. I mean, I know barrel racers always complain about the ground, even even if it's out of fraternity, but, um, rodeo ground is definitely. A whole yeah. And I think those quality. horses, I think those good horses learn to manage that. You know, there's just, there's just some of them that get better at doing that. Yeah. I, I mean, we talked about him before, but that, um, what was his name? DTS way to fire way to fire. I feel like I saw him in some rodeo results, like, recently was he at the um i i'm not exactly sure but i know that they've rodeoed with him and done well uh, yeah i mean i think i've seen him the dan i yes. am famous um you know i've seen him and cp conia like a lot of your horses yes. have gone on to rodeo um yeah and, are still and that's what i today. that's what i want for from my perspective i want them to be able to go on and do you know any any kind of barrel racing they're talented um there's no reason why they can't do that. I'm just not quite as interested in doing a rodeo myself. <laughs> I, I I understand that. I've I've done a little bit of both, just a little bit. And uh, it's been a career. It's but it's been a great fun thing for my husband and I to do together. And that probably has that probably weighs heavily. Rodeo's a little tougher that way for us. Yeah, I I understand that. Um, what would you say is your training philosophy? Because talking about, you know, your fraternity Colts and then they've gone on to win, um, you know, I feel like you just have such a smooth, easy style. How do you kind of build that confidence and like what, just tell us what your training philosophy, I guess, is to make these um, 
consistent horses, I guess is what um, I'm trying to say. I guess um, my training, one probably the main part of my training philosophy is I don't want, I don't want them to learn anything that they need to do under a lot of pressure. Um, like, uh, you know, and I know that it works for some people to put on some spurs, you know, and kind of get after them and stuff like that. That's a really last resort for me. I want them to learn what they're supposed to do relaxed. Be- because, And the other thing I feel like is I want them to run relaxed. I want them to run really hard and really fast. But and, and I know you'll know what I'm talking about. There's a difference between running relaxed really fast and running pressured. And and it when I feel when I start yes. to feel that pressure, I want that different. I want to do some other things with them that's going to pull that pressure off them. So what do you do with those horses that do feel that pressure? Because I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's it's not as much fun to ride a horse that is almost right running nervous versus running confident. So what do you do to kind of back them off and well, help them? Well, one, of, one of the places I think I see it early on is when it's like going to the first barrel they'll be so nervous they'll have this huge burst of energy you know how they do that and um i what i want is i i want them to start hard and fast but i want them i want them to have that relaxed feel to it so um early on with my colts um i don't I don't start them close to the barrels. When I'm asking them to run, I give them a great big long run to that first barrel. Start them, you know, uh, start them out easy, trot to lope. And then when I start hauling them and they get that feeling like they're getting nervous, you know, and that burst of energy to the first barrel, I'll bring them home, set up the barrels, and I'll, you know, like lope them, get them a little bit tired. And then I'll pick them up like I'm, you know, how you pick them up to start a run. You pick them up in your hands. I'll pick them up in my hands, lope them partway to the first barrel and bring them down to a real easy stop and sit there. I just do think, yeah, just to change up how they think that they're, once they start to run to that first barrel, that it's going to be hard and fast. I want them to just, you know, not be thinking that way, kind of, if that makes sense. Yeah, that really makes sense. And, you know, you kind of mimic getting ready for a run, picking up their reins, but then you just right. And I don't, I don't do hard stops with them. That's, that's the other thing I do that helps that a little bit. Um, And I know this works for a lot of people to set them kind of, if they've had trouble getting by the first barrel, they'll set them kind of hard. I don't really do that because I think Mm -hmm. that adds more pressure to them, makes them more nervous. Uh, And I like to, if I'm going to stop them at the barrel, I like to look right up in to where their front feet are supposed to make the turn and then sit down and let all your energy just sit there, flow away, just sit there with the horse and bring everything down, bring the energy down. Um, I think that helps them with that too when they start getting that feeling like they have to just blast to that first barrel. Yeah. And then it just keeps them, right. it keeps them happier too. Um, not thinking they're going to get rammed and jammed on. I see that a lot in exhibitions sometimes. And I'm it like, always oh, works. It always worries sad. me. I'm kind of <laughs> a bleeding heart probably that way. Cause it always worries me <laughs> when they, when they get in trouble. That's what, and, and I'm not that way with my horses. I don't start the two year olds, but I like those horses to come back to me, not afraid of my feet, not afraid that they're going to get in trouble. 
that that makes a lot of sense. Um, but before we end, I I want to ask about your your tech and your gear and some of your favorite bits because um, at least from an outsider view, you know, all of your horses are pretty big, but they stay you know nice and round and soft. Um, so tell us about some of the things you like to use to. That's kind of really nice. Thank you. Um, that's the goal. I don't know that I always do hit that, but that is the goal. But uh, <laughs> so we'll start. I don't spend very long in in like an O-ring snaffle um, or, you know, just just a plain snaffle bit because this is how it feels to me. If I mm-hmm. lope around a barrel and kind of have to help them on the backside, it seems like um, it takes like a little more pressure or something like that to pick their nose up or, you know, do whatever I need to do. And then I don't, I I don't get it released quickly enough when I start to run with speed. So I don't stay in just a plain snaffle bit very long at all. Um, I like to, um, I'll, I'll go with like a bit similar to a Tom thumb, start to get a little bit of shank and my favorite all time favorite when they're starting to, pick up just a little speed as I run them in a Hollis gag. And that's just, uh, they make a lot of H gags. It has quite a bit of gag action. Um, not a great lot of stop, but you, it, it has, it picks their nose up really good. It doesn't have a lot of lift to it. Um, the bit that I end up running most of my Colts in once they're up to speed is the Ed Wright medium shank with a dog bone. I, it, just seems to fit my style and my hands. I was going to ask, are there bits that you've tried and you were like, no, <laughs> never using this again um, because they just didn't fit um, your style? Yeah, there probably have been. And I can't think of one. Right. Oh, if they have, you know, the bits, and I'm not sure what they're even called, um, that have a really, they're kind of a straight bar on the side with a lot, lot of gag action. They ride really high up on their cheeks. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but I will do a little training in those bits, but I can't run in those bits. I, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. I've tried those too. Um, They they don't work for me either. Big gags are not my thing. Um, And one last question, because I always like to ask this. Um, what are a couple things in your trailer that like you have to have besides, you know, a saddle and a bridle, like a couple things that you don't well, leave home without? I, I'm wake up at night hungry a lot of times <laughs> and I feel, I feel deprived of, and I'm especially going to wake up if I know there's no snacks in the trailer. So that's really, <laughs> that's really important to have <laughs> snacks in the trailer. Let me think what else, uh, water. Just two basic, <laughs> two of the basic needs. Clear down on the pyramid. <laughs> you don't need a whole lot, do you? I love it. I love it. Well, where are you um, guys We're going to be going to Moses Lake to the Sand Cup and to uh, VGBRA Barrel Days. Me That'll too. be good. I'll get That'll to see you there. I'm so excited to go there. I love those two maturities. Yes, me too. I was I was so bummed last year when they had to cancel and. I'm Me too. so excited to be able to go back this year. Well, great. Thank you so much, Fana. I'm so glad that we had a chance to, to share your story a little bit. Um, Thank you. I think you do a great job. Safe.
as always, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you head over to pivotpointequine.com and use the code MONEYBARREL to make sure you're not holding your partner back. Thanks again to Vana for sitting down with us and run fast, be safe, and we'll see you soon.